my friends welcome back to another episode of the Dowland podcast with your boy cq the watch guy hope everybody's having a very great day evening whatever time or wherever you are i hope your slice of paradise is uh as good as mine uh back in philadelphia today it's a little warm um you know it's not 85 degrees uh and sunny but it is you know uh, i think it's like 45 and sunny so i will take that compared uh, to how this winter has been going. Um, yeah, so dial in episode three. You know, thank you so much if you've uh, been hanging on since episode one. I'm going to drop all these kind of one time. Uh, so thank you for uh, for um, listening through. Uh, as you can probably tell, the audio quality is a little bit better. I am back in uh, Philly, so I have all my equipment um, together. And um, going forward, I think the quality of the audio will be up to par. But please, 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 please email me, um, text me, let me know what you guys want to hear on this podcast, or I will just, you know, ramble on uh, about just the random things that pop in my head, which may be interesting to you. So if that's what you like, you know, just let me know that's okay. Um, but, you know, you know, you dive into my rabbit hole and, you know, we'll, you know, we'll talk about things that I don't know if, uh, you know, if you guys want to hear about. So let me know. You can email me at cq at thewatchbox.com. Put in the description, dial in podcast. Um, that'd be the best way to help me sort out if it's specifically for the podcast. If you just want to talk watches uh, privately, something that's not on the podcast, you could just, you know, uh, you know, feel free to subject it, you know, as you would like. Um, or you can text me at 484-926-8762. Again, that's 484-926-8762. And I'll put all that good stuff in the description as well. But yeah, let me know what you guys want to hear. I want to know what the people want. Um, so I can tailor it to you. Uh, after all, as much as this is, um, uh, you know, honestly fun fun for me just to get all my thoughts out of my crazy head, it will be nice to um, format it and um, make sure I'm on topic to what you guys, um, you guys want to talk about. Uh, and today, uh, I wanted to take a little, a little peek at, uh, you know, independent watches. And what I, um, I've been predicting for a couple years now, um, the wave of independent watches or the wave of independent watch love or attention or the, the market's rising. Tides are rising for, that's the title right there, uh, tides are rising in the independent world. And um, there, a wave is coming, in my opinion, of just the appreciation for the broader mainstream collector base to focus on some of these independent brands. And you're going to see prices um, start to catch up on the pre-owned um, Spectrum. Remember, um, the, as well with this podcast, I'm always going to, you know, kind of talk from the pre-owned perspective, unless I say brand new, uh, just, you know, get, get that cleared up in case you got a little confused there. Um, so we're going to see prices start, you know, uh, we've already seen prices start increasing um, with, with pre-owned brands, and you're going to keep seeing that happen. And, you know, I'm talking anywhere from Breitling, which I love, which is an independent brand, which is doing amazing things um, in the past couple years. I know we were all, you know, if you're a fan of Breitling, when the, the ownership change happened and George Kearns took over, we were happy, but you know, we were all kind of fatigued a little bit of the direction of where Breitling was going before they took over. Um, you know, the, the, the chronomats and narrative times, everything was there to kind of trim down from being super bulky watches, but it kind of seemed like the, the, the boat was in the water, but the, the wind wasn't blowing in the sails. Um, for sort of speed, and we kind of there, there's some models that were discontinued, like the Daydate. Um, uh, they made a, uh, a Chronomat Daydate um, that was discontinued. That, that was a 41, 
man, I, it, it was a 41, a day date, a um, beautiful watch, time, time and day date. Really good color, sold really well. It was under fifty five hundred. They only made it for a year, um, which is something that I didn't um, like because you know I was in the Caribbean, I was selling new, and that was a piece that sold very very well. The Super Avenger sold very very well. When the Super Ocean Heritage line came in, they sold very very well. Under six thousand, Brighton Lawns has done really well, and in the past couple of years, we've seen them really uh, focus on really reinventing the brand, re reinvigorating that base of what a Breitling collector is, or somebody who loves Breitling. And there, there's really two sides of a Breitling collector. Um, and there is somebody who's really uh, in touch with age, aviation and really loves, uh, maybe he's a pilot or just involved with his dad's a pilot or his family, or just have a, if you have an appreciation for aviation, Breitling is one of those brands that you've heard about a lot. Um, you know, the, the, the AOPA, all the pilots associations are, are partnered with them. Navitimers is like a classic, Pilots watch because you can navigate with it, right? You have the E6B slide wheel on there. Um, e either way, they have been doing really, really good. And the other, the other side of Breitling is the person who wears their watch every day, enjoys it, wants to beat it up a little bit, wants that watch to, you know, really take a, a, a abuse or life. You know, whatever that life may be, a Breitling usually can take it on and do whatever. And so they kind of honed in on that, and you've seen some great, um, interesting releases. They updated the Super Ocean Heritage, gave it kind of that concave bezel. They did, um, you know, when COVID um, hit, they did the Super Ocean um, limited edition for um, the, the British Healthcare Service with the rainbow dial, and I was like... I think we've lost them. I think we lost Bradlin. I think this is a little too funky. Just because the pictures didn't look good to me, honestly. And I, I think rainbow is a very weird uh, color scheme to not use stones. I think the fun thing about a rainbow bezel on a Daytona or um, another um, high-end watch that's a jewelry piece is you're finding all these stones to perfectly make the rainbow. So that's part of the cool thing. I, I sold jewelry for a long time. So when you've seen so many shades of a ruby, seen so many shades of a sapphire, or topaz, et cetera, et cetera. You, you can see how hard it is to really sit through and sort through all these different gemstones of different colors and qualities to make sure you find the right ones that will match in a perfect gradient that is going to be pleasing to the eyes and you won't be able to just look on the bezel and be like, oh, this just, you know, it just, this, this doesn't seem... Uh, seems a little out of place or something like that. So when the Super Ocean um, Limited Edition happened with the rainbow, I was like, eh, uh, you know, I think this is a dud. It's a thousand pieces, you know, you know, rich. And I'm, I'm not a big believer in a large thousand piece um, limited editions. How limited is a thousand? Well, you know, that watch uh, almost immediately sold out, and now it's an over retail watch. And um, we, we, we've seen it sell um, a couple times now over the retail price, which is amazing to see from a brand like Brighton. Because just like I said in um, uh, my, my previous episode, when everybody was on the Zenith uh, Chronomaster Sport and, uh, you know, about value, and that was a big thing. So nobody's going to pay for this, and nobody's going to, you know, you're going to be able to find a 50 off and this and that. And now you look at the Zenith Master Chronoma uh, Chronomaster Pro on Chrono24, and it's above retail, at retail, maybe just a little bit there, but it's not 50 off, that's for sure. Um, and the same thing with the, with the Super Ocean Heritage, and I love that. Because at the end of the day, great watches will sell. If you make a good watch, people will buy it. The law of supply and demand, 
just dictates if there is not enough supply, there's high demand, the price will then rise, right? So no matter what the brand, please don't, uh, please don't not buy a watch because it's a brand that traditionally is the market isn't great. Or traditionally, or maybe, maybe modern times, as we've kind of honed into you know values and the ups and downs of the market. Maybe as a brand, they don't hold the best on the market. But you really shouldn't look at watches if you're gonna have the, your value hat on. From the brand perspective, it should always be um, distilled and concentrated down to the model or at least the family of watches, um, because that really changes you know, from brand to brand, and not every brand, everything would be a winner, and not every brand, everything would be a loser. There are many people who probably bought this um, just for fun, you know, just because it's a cool watch, it's a great cause, um, it's something to remember this very tough and weird and crazy uh, couple years that we're having, and it, the spirit of it is awesome. So it's sold out, and it, it sells over retail, and that could happen for any any watch that is a good watch that people like, um, they re they did a reedition of the Chronomat. They brought back the the Rulo bullet style bracelet, which is really really nice, um, and and it's doing good for, for them. Most recently, they just dropped the Breitling Top Time uh, Duke 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 Chronograph, which is um, in partnership with, with Duke X Machina over in um, Australia, I believe, and they make some really awesome kind of like vintage classic style bicycles. The Top Time is a great watch and a great platform that they're doing great with. The Premier has been great for them as well. So it just goes to show you within a short time, I want to say that was like 2015, 2016, when um, Mr. Kearns and, and that group took over, how you can just change a brand just with listening to what the people wanted and what did the people want. They wanted accessible price points, unique watches that they can live life with. And that's all Breitling did. The, the, the Endurance, which is probably one of their, their best hits that came out, and that came out late um, 2020, that is a super quartz watch using their Bright Light case, which it, which it developed quite a while back now, and they were using um, on the, the Super Avenger Hurricane. Bright Light is two-point times uh, lighter than, than titanium. It's basically their version of forged carbon, right? But they had it in the Super Avenger Hurricane which was a super venture with in-house movement, which made it naturally um, a, a retail watch of uh, somewhere between eight and 9,500, 9, which really isn't the sweet spot for a Breitling consumer. If, you, if you're not talking gold, if you're not, if you're talking a Breitling Chronomat 44 or whatever with, with gold and steel, then you're okay going above 10,000. But for a forged carbon watch from Breitling, even though it's in-house movement and all the great things that the B01 has inside of it, you really, um, you know, you, you, you didn't want to pay that, that price point. So what they do, they gave you a super quartz watch with the bright light case, which everybody loved, right? Because the Super Avenger Hurricane at pre-owned, where you can buy anywhere from four to 5,000, is an amazing steal, and you should run and buy, buy, buy one right now. So the MSRP for the Endurance Pro, $3,000, which is the perfect price point. You're going to get a little bit of a discount, at least 10 to 15% from a dealer you've done business with. I know some dealers are selling these at full retail. Um, I, I've sold these, these at full retail, and they're just nice, fun watches. It's super quartz, it's a chronograph, um, but it's not a digital display, so you have that nice analog feel. Really nice colors, blue, orange, red, yellow, white. I think white was the most popular, um, so that one's always on back order, but you can have fun. You could put, uh, I'll probably get the white, put it on a blue, 
um, blue rubber bratlin strap or NATO strap or um, their recycled plastic strap as well are pretty cool. But that just goes to show you how a brand can really turn around and take a little quick pivot um, when it's independent, going back to the root of what we want, what I want to talk, talk about today. Um, if you're kind of newer into the industry and trying to figure out this whole ecosystem and what's going on, let, let's, let's kind of distill a little bit. Now, when we talk about independent brands, you know, there's still so much that goes on there, right? So I'm not going to touch every independent brand today. I'm honestly just going to talk, talk about a few and just some, you know, tips and thoughts and my thought process and how I um, advise people to buy independence or evaluate an in, uh, independent brand or any brand you have in, um, you, you, you've you never seen before. So when we when we talk about um, the world of watches, let's, be, let's pretend we're out on the, on the water, right? Big brands like big group brands are cruise ships. So your, your Swatch groups, your, uh, you know, your Swatch groups, your LVMH, your Richmonds, those are big cruise ships, right? So they can take you from point A to point B. You can have a lot of fun. There's a lot of layers of enjoyment and entertainment and parties and things going on. But if a storm's coming and you got to turn, they're not the fastest boat to be able to turn. Right? They're going to take a, a long time to pivot. It's going to take a while. You got to get the thrusters and everything pointed, and you got to really do a lot to, to turn that, that boat around. Now, when you get into the independence, you start to get into these smaller ships and then these little, these little speed boats that are able to pivot really, really well because they only answer to themselves. They're not part of this big uh, structure. You know, For some of these brands, I, it feels to me that they're just pushing out product. They're just pushing our product because on their spreadsheet, we need to, to, to produce X watches. Uh, and you know, if we produce X, it will sell X and we get X amount of profit. And it'll make the, the, the spreadsheet and the EBITDA and all that stuff look, looks great. But to me, watches are such an individual thing that you really can't run it like the car business. I, I was in the car business for a little bit. My family's uh, involved as well. You know, with, with cars, you need a car. You know, you got you to go to work. You gotta get, you know, you gotta get the kids to school. You gotta go to the grocery store, depending where you live. You know, you 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 really need a car, or you're or you're you're striving to get a car. You know, if you're if you don't have a car, you're working really hard to get a car, unless you're you know very fortunate to live in some place that's that's super walkable. With watches, it's not that right. So if you buy, there's some people who buy a watch and that is their watch for 20 years, and then that watch maybe dies on them or. Somebody says, hey, you need to update the watch, and they buy another watch, and that might be their watch for 20 years. Now, that also might be the switch, and they turn into a guy who's buying, you know, one watch a year, one watch every two years. But a lot of times, you know, they, 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 not everybody's like us. You know, not everybody's buying many watches or rotating or looking at everything every day. So you can't approach it like a, um, like a car manufacturer, in my opinion. And this is where you get into the independents. And independents, in my opinion, are you know just brands who are. are cause, cause there are some independents like 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 J, uh, JLC and Elon Musk. They're not independents, but they move and feel like independents. Hilly Snardin and um, Gerard Pergo, they're a part of Carrion Brands, so they're technically a part of a group, but they're the only watch elements of that group, and they move like a, like an independent to me. So to me, there, there's, uh, there's a lot of different sizes of boats out there. There's big cruise ships, there's little cruisers, and there's you know, little, little skiffs out there. A few brands that are just little skiffs, and they, 
you know, they, they, but they're doing it. You know, they're nice gifts and they're inflatable and, you know, they, they can get you, they can get it in and out really, really fast. And they're, you know, fortunately, a lot of great independents like Romain Jerome um, that, uh, you know, is, is bankrupt, HYT, um, it just went out of business. I'm hoping somebody saves them. So that's the thing with independents, right? You, you have that side of the spectrum where they, they may go out of business. Their capital may run out. Their investment investors may decide that this is not something that they want to sink their money into um, because it's a hard, hard thing to make a watch brand. It's a super hard thing to make a watch brand that can actually sell. And then it's an even more hard thing to make a watch brand that has continuous success beyond one or two models, beyond, you know, flash in the pans situations. It's really, watches are very much just like the music industry, right? And there are a lot of, you know, artists out there who have great singles that last one year. There are a lot of artists who have great singles that are able to tour on for a lifetime. And there are guys out there who can give us consistent hits. And there are guys who, you know, they don't give us the those hits we love the mixtapes and we love we love to go to their shows right maybe they, they they haven't made a new song in a very long time but hey you know when we go to a show we know you know exactly what we're gonna get we're gonna get what we came for we can get a certain type of you know we're gonna get that guitar solo we're gonna get that you know that that drum solo and so we go to the show because we like you know we like that exact feeling that we're, we're getting there so you know yeah you know you know me with the with the analogies so when you're looking at independence you really gotta you know figure out you know first of all price point where you want to be there's a lot of guys um a lot of brands all over the spectrum you go under three thousand, it kind of explodes when there's just so many really cool brands out there um that are just you know from three hundred dollars four hundred thousand you know you got a bit higher you get into the main watches and things like that which are really really awesome. So it's very, very broad. Um, uh, like I said, Breitling is a, a really good starter independent that I like. As you get a little bit higher up, you know, you're starting to get in things like um, uh, Suspect and Seawet, which I really like. Um, Suspect, uh, which is a great brand. Um, really good movements, really good price points. They're starting retail somewhere around like 15, 16,000. Uh, they do a few different models. The dials are amazing. The price point at 15.6, or I feel like they had an increase. Um, their starting price points are really, really good. They do get a little bit higher up there as you get more complicated going to the turbions. But their one of the first models that I really liked was their uh, Kai de, the Kai de Burgess, which is um, time seconds, and then you have a day and number disc, which I really, really like. It balances out. It balances the dial very, very well. Um, and it's a really unique looking watch. The cases are beautiful. The movements are finished really nice, nicely. Uh, the, the dials are really excellently done and they have different levels of engraving depending on which models you go. That's a great brand to have something unique. They're a, a little bit younger in, in the newer revision uh, of them. You know, one thing I'll let you touch on really quickly is, you know, there are a lot of brands who are, they're using names that have been around for a long time. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think you have to remember that these are all smaller businesses, right? Small independent businesses. And just, it would be very hard for somebody who is not a, um, take me, I'm not a, I'm not a watchmaker, right? I love watches. I really, really love watches. I've been in the industry and I, I know a lot of great people, but I myself am not a watchmaker. So if I made a watch that was, you know, the CQ watch, 
yeah, you know, maybe the people of this podcast would, you know, it appealed to you and other people who like me. But as I climbed up the dollar amount, like if I made a CQ uh, timepiece that was $20,000, I would really have to show you why. And at the end of the day, you know, I would have to partner up with, a, you know, this watchmaker, that watchmaker. And it becomes like a different thing where, you know, do... You know, are you buying the watch for me or because of the watchmaking? It just becomes a very, it's hard. It's hard to make a completely new watch, especially if you don't have um, hardcore, uh, you, you're not a watchmaker. Now, a lot of these brands that have been bought or re reimagined or reinvigorated are by people who've been in the industry for a super long time, who know the industry, who love the, the history of the brands and are trying to follow their vision and keep that vision going forward. Uh, Lumine is a great example of um, uh, Lumine himself, inventor of one of the first chronographs, and many great, um, many great horological achievements. Um, the brand went away. The new version of the brand is focusing on very high-end um, movements, nice chronographs, really unique dials. They are, you know, following through on the vision of the brand. So I don't get too caught up in um, how long a brand has been around, especially if it's, you know, if it's, it, it really doesn't ma matter to me. If it's something in a situation like, like Paddock, which has truly been around continuously for almost 200 years, and, and AP, which, you know, just still family members. You know, if, if you have a nice continuous history like that, that's beautiful. I love it, and I love the, the history of how the business works and all that stuff. But you're a little bit of a newer brand or, or older name with a new money or new... Um, re, re revision. I'm not. Um, I'm not mad at that at all, and I don't really um, knock that at all. It's all about to me at the end of the day. One, the product, how the timepiece looks, how it performs, what are you trying to achieve, and second, you know, your connection with your consumer, how you know you're treating that collector, people who are jumping into your brand, and third, what is your plan for longevity, you know, and and really your outlook for the brand. Because at the end of the day, nobody wants to be in a situation where you're investing your hard-earned money into a brand that, you know, may not be there, you know, in, in a few years. Now, there's definitely a lot of different... All right, I'm back. Sorry about that. I had to take a quick, very important phone call, but, you know, I feel like we should finish the podcast either way. Uh, so I left off on talking about brands. Um, you invest in your hard-earned money in a brand and you want to know that that brand has you know, is going to be there in 10, 15 years. The best, most recent example of that would be Remain Jerome. Um, most recent, probably HYT, but Remain Jerome, one of my favorite brands, just because they were fun. They they made funky watches. There's a Pikachu watch. There's a Super Mario's watch, Super Mario watch. There's a Space Invader watch. There's a Titanic DNA. There's a, there's a, 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 a Two-Face, a like Batman, a two-face watch that is split down the middle, and one side is laser engraved, and the strap is split down the middle, and there's a the two-face coin in there. They were just having fun with their watches. Um, now you're asking, you know, CQ, if they made such good watches, why are they no longer here? So the big thing with that is they just made too many watches. Their variety was a little bit um, too much, you know, in in terms of there were so many cool and funky watches that they made that you know you get the funky piece that you want and then you go and then they made so many so much volume 
I, I don't think they made 20, 30,000 watches or, or anything like that, but they made enough where uh, dealers had watches sitting and I, I sold them brand new uh, when I worked in Southeast East Alaska in that cruise market. And um, they, they were, you know, they were slow movers on the on the brand new side because, again, the the retail price was, was high. And I'll do um, a whole episode on retail price and why I think retail prices are in a very dangerous place of not being um, not meaning anything. They don't mean anything right now, to be honest. But they're a place where you know they, they almost don't mean anything, and we'll ever get back to that way. But either way, the retail price was very high um, compared to what they were, and you know. Uh, at a value movements for the most part, I think. Uh, they did do some very cool skeletonized movements. I'm sure they used um, different other uh, makers, but they just, you know, for the price point, for what they were and what the price point, a lot of people didn't see the value there. Uh, they didn't believe enough. And um, their investors decided to stop investing in the brand. And then, you know, so the brand is, is no, longer, no longer in existence today. Maybe somebody buys them. I think it'd be a cool brand to buy and bring back and, you know, just focus the price point under under 10000 unless you're going to give precious metal or turbion or, or a crazy complication. I think there's just so much fun to be had in that world. Their pieces were nice quality pieces. They felt good on the wrist. Um, I, I enjoyed them. Um, but again, you know, a business is a business, and a business needs to make money, and it, it's not for um, uh, somebody to just have fun uh, at the end of the day. Yes, you want to have fun in your business, and you want products that people connect with and bring out uh, enjoyment and fun and smiles on people's faces. But at the end of the day, you know, that, that, that client has to be willing to pay decent money um, close to my retail value for it to make sense. Because if they pay close to my retail value, that means I made money and my retailer makes money. And at the end of the day, if I'm a dealer, uh, or excuse me, if I'm a manufacturer, I'm a brand, and I'm not doing direct-to-consumer, which not many brands are taking as much advantage of that as they should be, then you need your retailer to make money. If your brand is not a brand that your retailer will make money on, it will sit in your retailer showcase it will not sell, it will be discounted, it will be bought by somebody uh, on the gray market side of the industry who will then just blow it out because that's all they, they're just in it to, 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 to make that percentage that, like we talked about earlier uh, in different podcasts, um, they're just there to make that percentage and that's it. Once it reach, reaches the pre-owned realm, there's really not much you know, a pre-owned market uh, can do. You know, we just go on the, on the pre-owned value. So, you know, once a certain watch has reached um, the market, the retail value really doesn't matter. What matters is what somebody's willing to pay for that watch. That will remain Jerome. It wasn't that high because, again, you could get a deep discount brand new. You could get a deep discount all over a great market. So why would you ever pay very high for it um, on the pre-owned side? So something that slid, slid, very, uh, slid down very fast. I think it's a great brand. Um, to buy on the pre-owned side right now because they're cool. There's so much cool and fun watches, but you know, uh, you know, you buy them, but you don't take too much about the value. So you hear something about like that, and you're like, well, why would I invest in other, uh, you know, other brands that might not be there? And you know, so that is the risk when dealing with independents and smaller independents as well. But in my opinion, you have to be willing willing to take those risks. And let's take a brand like Romain Jerome. I'm not afraid to buy a pre-owned pre-owned Romain Jerome piece because most of their watches can be serviced by any good watchmaker or any good watchmaking, uh, watch servicing group or facility. Um, so they're not very complicated, all proprietary in-house movements where only themselves, uh, only somebody who's worked there can do it where you can have a situation where you have to send it to this one random person, he can charge whatever he wants. They were very common uh, movements or 
you know, uh, versions of common movements, but they're not um, something that won't be able to service. So I will enjoy the, those watches and get great deals, and I think you should as well um, on those pieces. So going forward, there is that little bit of risk to, 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 to think about, and that risk becomes very, very large when you go into um, what's called, what I would like to call boutique or commission brands. So this would be Philippe Dufour, Rixep uh, Rixepi, you could say uh, Gronfeld is heading that way, um, any uh, Roger Smith out of uh, the UK, and there's so many. Um, I want to give a shout out to Hodinki Burkis, who is a really nice maker um, that, that um, a friend in um, the, uh, Dubai introduced me to, you, and he's, he's in Eastern Europe, and he makes really cool things, has fun with our meteorite cases as well, that he's doing in his house, in his farm. You know, like in, literally on his farm, he has a couple horses, um, he has a watchmaking. Uh, shed and, and a, a bigger shed that him and his dad built and he, his benches and he's he, he's taught himself watchmaking. I'm sure he has more than I, I know. I don't know his whole history, but he's taught himself watchmaking. He is making commission pieces for, for people. I, I don't I, I doubt he does more than 10, 15 a year. I don't think they're over like 10,000 or anything crazy. I'm not sure. But I don't think they're the crazy um, price watches. But you get into you get to invest in this watchmaker. And I think that's so cool because um, the collector who bought from him, who, who introduced me to his work, reached out to him, you know, from the Middle East, loved his work, got to pick every element of the watch, whether it was skeletonized, how he wanted this finish, how he wanted, you know, blue screws here and blue screws there. And he wanted, the, you know, the different things on the movement finished in a certain way and got to push um, uh, the, the watchmaker to, to do things maybe they wouldn't have normally done. So when he got that watch, you know, and this is somebody who has $100,000 watches and, you know, double stamp this and double stamp that. But when he got that watch, the joy on his face of showing that to everybody because it was something that he truly uh, kind of got to make. He invested his money. He invested his time in finding the maker. He invested his time in telling the maker what he wanted. The maker then produced it for him. And, you know, so it, it's just that that connection of love I always talk about, a circle of love of watches. Um, and that I really like. I really like that there's so many of the, those great brands that you can, um, you can find a maker and invest in, and they're popping up here and there. There is a risk, like, will this be a brand that's around? Uh, you know, and nobody can answer that question except the universe, and I, I, I don't have, um, I'm not Dr. Strange, and I, I don't have um, th those answers um, of the universe, but I'd say it's worth taking the risk if you like, if you like the product. Another great um, uh, example, if I can find it really quickly, is Char Charles For Forgem, or Forgem, uh, out of the UK. Uh, I, I saw them during Dubai Watch Week. Uh, if you go on the Watchbox Studios YouTube channel, Tim did a great video um, when, when we were there as well. Uh, very, I think, I want to say like a very small production, maybe 10, 15 watches. Uh, higher, higher end side for sure. Um, you're paying, you know, definitely, uh, you know, close to six figures, if not mid, you know, very over over sixty thousand for sure. Don't know the exact numbers off of my head. I do apologize, but you can uh, you can do a little research there. Either way, you're gonna pay a lot of money for this this um, this this maker. Um, one of his famous models right now is the double impulse chronometer, which is amazing. Again, check it out on YouTube. Either way, great watches. You don't know. Great, interesting story made in the, in the UK, which I really love. Uh, watches from different different countries getting out there, especially high-end watches. But you don't know. You don't know what is going to be the, the path of that brand for 20 years. But what you do know is that you could talk to the 
the, the, the owner of the company. You can have a conversation with him. He loves the brand. They love the brand. The, the group I spoke, spoke to, they love the brand. You can sense their passion. You can see the quality of the movement. You can see what they're trying to accomplish. And you can say to yourself, hey, I am willing to invest in this brand. I'm willing to take a chance and see what happens. At the end of the day, you have to love the watch. If you love the watch and you're able to afford the capital and it makes sense in your head, go for it. Don't let somebody say, hey, I don't know what that brand is. I've never heard of that brand. Don't let one of those comments take you off of your path of enjoying yourself or buying something that you, you know, you'd really want. You know, it, you really shouldn't do that. You know, I, I, I sell watches. Nobody in my family really likes watches. My dad has an old, um, uh, old explorer that his granddad gave him, but like, it, it, he doesn't even wear it. You know, like they, they don't watch it. So if I listen to the people. Um, you know, my, my family, you know, if I listened to them, I probably wouldn't be still in watches, right? I, I'd have jumped out. And that would have been a mistake, right? That would have been a mistake because obviously, you know, I'm passionate about it. Obviously, I'm, I'm pretty decent at it. Um, and obviously, there is so much more left for me to do in the space. So if I jumped out because other people didn't like what I did or, you know, saw the same values that I did in what I did, you know, my life would be different. And it's the same thing in collecting watches or whatever you want to collect out there. I don't care if it's trumpets, tubers, or, you know, you know Parisian violins. I, it doesn't matter. Or uh, uh, great uh, tapestries uh, from Iran or the Middle East, which I found out a whole um, collecting space about that out, out there as well. It doesn't matter. What matters at the end of the day is you like what you're spending your money on. You work hard for your money. You get to decide where that money goes. Um, and you should be, at the end of the day, enjoy, if you're talking about watches, where that money's being spent, not because somebody else told you. So that's really the biggest lesson in independence is buy what you love, which is my mantra, and it should be your mantra anytime you're thinking about buying a watch, buy what you love. So when you're buying independence, first you buy the watch, right? You buy the watch, you dig a little bit deeper, you buy the brand, and then you, you go ahead and you go from there. Maybe you stick with the brand, maybe you shop around. I just think that if you are collecting watches in 2020, whether you're new or you're, or you're old to the hobby, you should really think about having some type of independent um, in your collection because you really get really nice, unique pieces. Often brands that will be changing very fast, like Moser's a great example of their you know discontinuing uh, pieces. Their Sosalves has got discontinued, the Cosmic Green, uh, Pioneer, I believe, just 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 got discontinued. You know, because they're, they're reinventing, they're they're doing different dials, they're doing different cases, they're making different movements. So you get to capture different little capsules of their of their growth, right? It's the same thing with FP Jordan, right? Which is like the the real, you know, they're not the the only independent who has uh, seen great great value increase. Things people before is probably the real, the big rock that got through that 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 starts started the waves moving where people said, hey, we're willing to pay well over what the retail MSRP is just because we can't get the watch. But two, we really, really love the watch. We really, really love the story. And we just really love the passion of Mr. Dufour. And he's a, a, a living icon. So the same thing you know, happened with F.P. Jordan is where kind of this living icon is around. People have always loved, loved the watches. Discount levels have always been up and down. Because again, um, you know, not every dealer knows how to sell every watch. And Independent watches aren't easy watches to sell. So if, if a watch isn't easy to sell, chances are 
if there is not a very, very, very small amount of them available, if it's not easy to sell and it ends up in a big retailer that has more than five decent brands, it's going to get discounted just because it needs to get sold. And most dealers aren't primed to sell independence or primed to sell watches that take a little bit of time to, to you, you got to sell the watch. You got to tell the story. You got to explain a little bit. You know, if you're going to spend, you know, uh, Parmigiani, you know, when we first got Parmigiani in the Caribbean, you know, nobody really knew what, what it was on the street. There are few, few guys did, but you really had to sit down, read some books, go on, you know, Houdinki, go on Time Zone, do your research, find out who Michel Parmigiani is, find out why he's so great, why people love him, why the Sandals Foundation decided to invest in him, why, um, you know, the Stern family uses his, his him for the, the many pieces in the Paddock Fleet Museum, right? But it takes time. It's not a, this is not a story I can unfold to you in two, three minutes, um, you know, in between Heineken, right? It's kind of a sit down, I need 20 or 30 minutes, and then we kind of get into what the watch is, what the brand is about, et cetera. So that's really, honestly, the rule of thumb. If it's not an easy watch to sell, it gets discounted, and then the trickle in the domino effect of the world kind of happens with it. Anyways, um, I, I kind of went all over a little bit here, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. In closing, um, when we're buying independence, do your research, buy what you love, think value, but don't buy value, and don't be afraid to take a risk. Those would be my, my tools that I want you to resonate after, after this podcast here is really, uh, and the last one, don't be afraid to take a risk here. Of course, uh, it's money, and depending on the dollar amount, uh, you know, you got to take that into consideration. But if you're deep diving into the independent waters, have some fun. Don't be afraid to take risks. As you've seen with many brands, um, you know, Mojo's a great example. Uh, you know, pre-owned value, they, they weren't so great. They're getting better, they're getting better day by day, dependent model. Um, Elon Sonner, same thing. Um, so, so, man, I can, I, we can really go, um, Carrie Vuitton and, Great example. You can't get him. Gronfeld, you can't get him. Um, Romain Gautier, um, you know, you can't get him brand new. So you're seeing these pieces going up on a pre-owned market for really close to, to, to their retail value and holding stronger than ever before because people are now in the space of what else is out there. And you see what happened with the FP Jordan. And at the end of the day, good watch equals low supply, high demand, gives you what happened with them. Um, and it's going to happen with other brands. Not to say that. Uh, you know, that explosion in, in, in market and numbers, something like that can never be predicted. I don't know if that can be replicated again. I do think that's a special mix of Mr. Jordan is still living and still producing watches, and they're just a really good uh, amount of people who just follow, in, um, follow him and his passions. And I think that is, with the watchmaker being there in person and the brand still being as old as it is and pieces being around since early 2000s and subscription series and people have been able for decades to follow him. That is what they love. So now everybody's trying to find a new genre and Rick Seppi is looking to be that way and of course he was kind of, you know, you know, he, 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 was, he was touched or, or he was um, spoken very highly about by Mr. Dufour and Mr. Jorn, which is a very high compliment. So people are jumping there. And you're going to see this all over. There are a lot of great um, uh, younger watchmakers who are getting 
very nice spotlight right now. And I think that is the real silver lining out of all this chaos um, that you can say is going on in the market right now is that independents and other brands are getting a lot of love, a lot of attention. And these new watchmakers who would have maybe just been regulated to working under the, the big brands. Like you always hear um, everybody works for you know, Patek Philippe and after they spin off there, they, they go somewhere else, like Lauren Ferrier, who I didn't get to talk very much about here, but another great independent that I really, really love. I'll do another episode on that. But either way, it's these young watchmakers that usually end up kind of get housed away and tucked away um, in these great manufacturers where they learn and um, they get better and they enhance their skills. Now you're seeing them being able to pop out a little bit um, a little bit earlier in, in their careers and take a chance because maybe one or two um, collectors just said, hey, you know, if you ever wanted to, I would gladly, you know, you know, support you. I would gladly pay X amount to help you make this watch. Not not only because I want to buy the watch, but I want to help invest in you as, as a watchmaker and, and see what happens. So I think we have a lot of that going on. And again, this is happening at every price point. So you really can, you know, with a little bit of research, a little bit of you know, rabbit hole searching on Instagram or other social medias. You can find great independence and great uh, commission-only uh, watchmakers anywhere from $500 to $1,000, um, all the way up to, you know, $100,000 million plus to get something really, really special done in a specific way. So, um, yeah, at the end of the day, buy what you love. Um, when you're thinking independence, have fun. Do your research. Don't be afraid. Um jump 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 in the pond there are a lot of people who uh jumped yesterday that are really happy there are a lot of people who didn't jump yesterday who who are, are very sad that they didn't jump you know at the end of the day if you can afford it if you love the watch if you know that you will enjoy the watch buy it you know think about your finances of course but try not to try to have your your number in mind of what you can spend on a watch but don't go into to especially some of these newer independents where there really isn't any market history afraid um afraid of of, of jumping in there because you know be, just before i go like a great example is um you know the, the grunfeld uh the grunfeld remontoires uh were such an amazing piece people love them so people who were attracted to those pieces ran many people still you know probably try to get discounts on them or hey i'll wait till they go on the pre-owned side and now it's a brand where they're they're just fully booked up i think they make around 100 pieces a year and they're probably already going to be a couple years backed up uh, and by the end of the year and you know there'll be one of those brands where you know you just go in and you see some models but you have to go on a list which is you know what's going to happen as the, the love gets spread but as you have brands like that that are filled up and that are at capacity and have to come to that road where do they make more do they keep it low you have these other brands that will get shown some light shown on them and uh, be able to sprout out and and kind of survive and we'll have a you know we'll have many more conversations of, of brands failing um we'll have many more conversations of brands um su succeeding as well so it's definitely gonna be an interesting journey and um you know i'm here for you i, I will be um you know you're the captain of, of the boat but i don't mind helping you navigate the water so to speak uh so hope you enjoyed this podcast about independent watches and a little bit of everything in between. Again, please let me know what you'd like to hear on the podcast. You can email me at cq at thewatchbox.com or you can shoot me a text at 484-926-8762. Again, that's 484-926-8762. Shoot me a text there. That's my text only line or email me at cq at thewatchbox.com. 
I'll put the subject line, dial in podcast, and that way I'll see it right away and know what it's about. Um, yeah, but uh, have a great day, everyone. Buy what you love. CQ out.